Chapter Forty One of Forest Days by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Forty One. The Earl of Ashby, my good lord, desires to speak with you," said Stout Tom Blorkett, addressing Hugh de Mothimer as he sat at table writing. "Admit him instantly," answered Hugh. "Is he alone?" "Quite alone, my lord," replied the man, and retired. The burst of anger to which Alurid de Ashby had given way, when irritated by his cousin's presence, had passed off, and he now entered the chamber of Hugh de Mothimer, grave and sad, but with feelings of a high and noble kind. He turned his eye back as he passed the door towards the ante-room, where a page and some yeomen were seated, and Hugh de Mothimer, divining the meaning of the glance, bade Blorkit as he ushered the earl in, clear the outer chamber, and let no one remain there. The Earl advanced at once towards his adversary, and, with a frank though grave air, held out his hand. Hugh took it, and pressed it in his own, and seating themselves together, Alurid to Ashby began upon the motive of his coming. "'Mothomer,' he said, "'I cannot meet you to-morrow in the field, as needs must be in consequence of my own rashness and the world's opinion,' without saying a word or two to clear my conscience and relieve my heart. When I made the charge I did make, I was induced by artful men to believe you guilty. Since then, however, reason and thought, and some accidental discoveries, have made me doubt the fact. Doubt? exclaimed Hugh de Mothimer in a tone of reproach. Well, well, says Alured, to believe that the charge is false. Will that satisfy you? "'It must,' replied Eudemothema. "'Am I then to suppose that it is the world's opinion, "'the fear of an idle scoff alone, "'which makes you draw your sword against a friend, "'which makes you still urge, "'but I will not use a term that can pain you, "'which makes you risk your life and mine, "'a sister's happiness, "'and your own repose of mind for ever, "'all for an idle scoff?' "'Even so, Mothama, even so,' said Alurid to Ashby, in a sad but determined tone. "'I know it all, all you could urge, but yet you and I are well matched in arms. Both have some renown, yours perhaps higher than my own, from having fought in Palestine, and it is impossible that, after having called you to the field, I can in aught retract.' without drawing down upon myself a charge of fear, which must never rest upon my name. Men would say I dared not meet you, and that must not be. Hugh rose from his seat and walked twice across the room, then shook his head with a grieved and sorrowful expression, replying, Ashby, you are wrong, but I, on my part, must say no word to shake your resolution. As you judge best, so must you act but I go to the field with a heart free from wrong. Sad, bitterly sad, that I am forced to draw the sword against a man whom I would fain take to my heart with love. Sad, bitterly sad, that whether I live or die, a charge I have not merited brings sorrow upon me. But, as I have said, I will urge no motive upon you to change your purpose. Only hear me, Alured, when I call God and all the holy saints to witness that the thought of injuring your father by word or deed never could cross my mind, 
that I am, in short, as guiltless of his death as the babe unborn. I believe you. I do believe you indeed, said the young earl. Well, then, replied Hugh, I have a charge to give you, Alured. None can tell what the result of such a day as tomorrow may be. I go with my heart bent down with care and sorrow. Your sister's love blunts my lance and rusts my sword. Hatred of the task put upon me hangs heavy on my arm. And tis possible that, though mine be the righteous cause, yours the bad one, I may fall and you may conquer. If so, there is a debt of justice which you owe me, and I charge you to execute it, I, as an act of penitence. Proclaim with your own voice the innocence of the man you have slain, seek every proof to show he was not guilty, and bring the murderers to the block, even should you find them in your own house. The earl covered his eyes with his hands and remained silent for a moment, but then looked up again, saying, no, no, tis I that shall fall. The penalty of my own rashness at first, the penalty of my own weakness now, for it is a weakness, will be paid by myself, Mothama. I feel that my days are at an end. My death under your lance will clear you of the charge that I have brought against you, and yours will be the task to seek and punish the assassins of my father. And your sister? said Hugh de Mothama. I have seen her, replied her brother. I have seen her and told her my wishes and my will. Of that, no more. Only remember, Mothama, that when tomorrow I call God to witness that my cause is just, the cause I mean is not my charge against you, but the defence of my own honour against the injurious suspicions of the world. Hugh looked at him with a rueful smile. Alas, Alured, he said, I fear the eye of heaven will not see the distinction. Ask your confessor what he thinks of such a reservation. But if it must be so, so let it be. Yet tis a strange thing that two men, most unwilling to do each other wrong, should be doomed by one hasty word to slaughter each other against conscience. Aye, so goes the world, Hugh, replied the earl. And so it will go, too, I fear, till the last day. We must all do our devoir as knights. Eudemothema remembered of his knightly oath and the true duties of chivalry, and he could not help thinking that the mere reputation of a lesser virtue was held to be of more importance than the great and leading characteristics of that noble institution. He said nothing, however, for he would not urge the earl to forego his purpose, and he knew that reproach would irritate, but not change him. "'I grieve, Alured, he said, "'that you feel it so.' But as you are the mover in all this, with you must it rest. I can but defend my innocence as best I may. The tone which the young knight assumed, the calmness, the kindness, the want of all bravado, touched Alurid de Ashby's heart more than aught else on earth could have done. And wringing Hugh de Mothama's hand, he said, Goodbye, goodbye. I believe you innocent from my soul, Mothama and I would give my right hand that you and I were a hundred miles hence this night. With these words he quitted the room, and turned his steps towards his own lodging. He had thought, by visiting his adversary, to satisfy those better feelings, which, under the pressure of dark and terrible circumstances, had arisen in his heart. 
he had thought to relieve his bosom of the load that sat upon it, to make his conscience feel light and easy, and to cast off the burden of regret. But the result had been very different. The bitterness in his heart was doubled. Sorrow, shame, anxiety were all increased, and yet not one word or look of him whom he had deeply injured gave human nature the opportunity of rousing up anger to take the place of regret. He felt his heart burn within him, his eyeballs seemed on fire, his head ached, and ere he entered the door which led to his apartments, he threw back his hood and walked three or four times up and down the court. He was just about to go in when another figure, coming across from the same side where his lodgings lay, approached and cut him off, as it were and in a moment after, Guy de Margan was at his side. "'Give you good evening, my lord,' he said. "'Good night,' rejoined Allured, advancing as if to pass him. "'Pray what is the matter with your cousin Richard?' asked the other. "'I met him hurrying through the gates, but now, like a madman.' "'I know not, sir,' replied Allured impatiently. "'But the moment after, he continued in a changed tone. "'By the way, Sir Guy, I would fain speak with you.' "'There has been a friend and companion of Richard de Ashby.' "'Well, my lord,' exclaimed Guy de Margan, "'thou hast aided him with all thy might "'to fix the crime of my father's death on Hugh de Mothama,' said the earl, "'and then paused as if for a reply. "'None was made, however, and he went on. "'The accusers may be the accused some day, "'so look to it, look to it,' "'and he turned hastily towards his lodging.' Guy de Margan stayed for a moment in the middle of the court, and then darted after Allured de Ashby, exclaiming, "'My lord, my lord, one word. Do you mean to charge me with any share in your father's death? If you do, I demand that this instant, before the king, you make it publicly. I know too well, my lord, to dare you to arms upon such a quarrel. But if the Earl of Ashby thinks fit first to accuse one, and then another,' I will put myself upon my trial by my peers, who will force you to prove your words. Out of my way, reptile, cried the earl, out of my way, or I will stamp upon thy head and crush thee like a poisonous worm. Who accused thee? I did not. I thought the earl of Ashby might seek to avoid fighting his adversary, said Guy de Margan, drawing a step or two back, and wished to do it at my expense. Hugh de Mothama is a renowned knight, and no pleasant foe to meet at Outchance. Allured felt for the pommel of his sword, but he had left it on the table behind him, and springing at once upon Guy de Margan, he caught him by the throat before he could dart away, and hurled him backwards with tremendous force upon the pavement. Stunned and bleeding, Guy de Margan lay without sense or motion, and the young earl, crying, "'Lie there, fox!' strode back to his apartments. Passing hastily through the other rooms to his own chamber, he paused by the side of the table, in deep thought, and then, pronouncing the words, "'A set of knaves and villains!' he filled the agate cup to the brim with wine, raised it to his lips, and drained it to the dregs. End of chapter 41